guys pray with me? Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. Lord, just help us to be present with you this morning as you are present with us. Lord, help us to, to, uh, to hear, Lord, to, uh, to discern, Lord, my words from yours. Uh, help me to be your mouthpiece. And uh, God, I just pray that um, not only would we have ears to hear, but we would have hearts to receive, Lord, that we would be ready to act upon what it is um, that you are encouraging us to do this morning. Have your way in us. We invite you to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever wonder how the media got to be this out-of-control beast that everybody seems to despise, but at the same time, we can't seem to get enough of it? The truth is, is we're, we're partly to blame for that because people gravitate towards negative news. Statistics show that approximately 90% of all media news is negative. Sensationalist stories form 95% of media headlines nowadays. There was this Russian website that for a whole day, it posted nothing. They had decided beforehand that they were going to post nothing but, but positive stories for the day. And uh, when they did, they lost 66% of their uh, readership. Studies show that headlines with bad news catch 30% more attention. 30% more attention. People are 49% more likely to read something negative than positive. So, we blame the media, but we're partially to blame. We created this monster, right? Negative news sales. So this morning, we are starting a new series. I'm excited about it. We're starting. We are going through the book of Romans. Paul's letter uh, to the Romans. This is uh, considered by many to be the greatest piece of theology uh, you will ever uh, read the book of Romans, his letter to the church in, in Rome. And Paul had some good news to share. It's not just any good news. He had the good news to share. And so while good news might not sell, this good news we find it saves. But as we read through the book of Romans, what we're going to see is, is that in order for there to be good news, there also has to be bad news. So Paul, he's going to vacillate back and forth between this bad news and between and answering with this, with this good news. But in the end, it is good news. And so as Paul begins this letter to the Romans, he starts by defining what the gospel is. Paul defines the gospel and as we'll see, it turns out that this gospel actually defines who Paul is. And we'll also see that this good news was meant to define us as well. So let's take a look, if you will, if you have your, your Bible or your apps or however you read the word, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 1? We're just going to look at the introduction here 
verses 1 through 7. It's interesting, in a lot of these letters, you see the author, not all of them, but the author will introduce himself at the beginning of the letter. In modern letters, we always put our names at the, at the end of the letter. One of the reasons they think that is is because they would read scrolls, and you would have to scroll all the way down to the end of the letter and then roll it back up if you were to start off that way. So they, they started off by introducing uh, themselves. Okay, so it reads like this. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was the king of run-on sentences. The gospel defines Paul. The gospel is the reason that he even writes this letter. And it's become his reason for existence. It's become his reason for living. The gospel has become Paul's mission statement, his purpose. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. If you have maybe the, the King Jimmy, if you're reading out of that, it'll say bond servant. Not sure if the NASB, if it says bondservant, but that word bondservant, it implies, it implies a, a slave, which has a very negative connotation. We don't look at that in, in, um, in a positive manner. But, but here, when you see that word servant, that bondservant, it's, 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 it's a willing servant. It's somebody who is, is loyal. And not only are they, they loyal subjects, they're devoted they're devoted. So when Paul says, you know, when think more in terms of when you think of servant of, of Moses was a servant of God. Abraham was a servant of God. David was a servant of God. But I don't want you to miss the devotion that that implies. It's a servant, somebody who is willing to devote their lives to someone. You think about those movies uh, back in olden times when people... Oh, one person would save another person's lives, uh, their life, and, and they would tell that person, they would say, I'm, I'm your loyal subject. I'm your loyal servant. My life is devoted to you. Paul saw himself as a servant. Paul, a, a loyal and devoted servant of Christ Jesus. That's how he defined himself. Called to be an apostle, uh, a, a sent one. That's what that word apostle means. Now, in the Bible, we have what we call capital A apostles, and, and uh, some uh, say that there's also uh, little a uh, apostles still to, today, but the capital A apostles were those, those, those first ones that Jesus sent out, the 12, including, uh, but also Paul, those who wrote the New Testament. Uh, those are the capital A apostles. But that word, I want you to understand, that word means sent one. So in a sense, we are all sent ones. We have all been sent out. 
by God with the gospel. But Paul is called to be a capital A apostle. He recognizes that, and he says he's been set apart for the gospel. What does gospel mean? Good, good word, good news, good, good tidings, good tidings. It's, 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 it's good news. He has been set apart for the good news of God. Paul was defined by the gospel. This was his purpose. Do you know your purpose? Do you see yourself as a servant of, of Jesus Christ? Like, think about that. Not just a disciple, not just a, well, it's a big one, a a child of God, not just a believer, not just a Christian. Do you see yourself as a servant of Jesus Christ? Can you say that about yourself? I am a servant. I am a, a willing, loyal, and devoted subject of Jesus Christ. Do you see yourself as that? You know, there's two types of of what I would call lordship salvation. And, and I feel like this term has been hijacked and there's, there's, there's a, a negative connotation because there's this type of lordship salvation that is a, it's work-based and it's fruit-picking. So basically it's judging people's uh, morality and, and by those morals it's deciding whether who's lost, who's in, who's out, who's saved, uh, who, who is, is not. And usually ends up working out is that the closer you are to somebody, the, the more you know, the better you know somebody, <laughs> the more you see, we, we end up seeing each other's flaws, right? And so you struggle with, with so many individuals. Why aren't they uh, serving the Lord like I am? And it's a works-based fruit-picking uh, salvation, and it's called lordship salvation. But I also believe that the gospel entails that Jesus is Lord. That, in a nutshell, is the gospel. You break it down to its bare bones, and it's the, the, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the saving king. I'm stressing king there. But this type of lordship salvation, it's identity-based, fruit-bearing salvation. It's not judged on your works. It's judged on your identity, who you identify with. This type of servant is lovingly embracing Jesus as our authority. And we need the Holy Spirit for this. But it's about, it's, it, it, it's about identifying. You know, people identify with a, <laughs> with a lot of things these days. But we are servants of Jesus Christ. How do you identify? Primarily, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. And you may not be an apostle, but you have been sent. Jesus says you are the light of the world. That's every single one of us. That's, a, that's, that's for all Christians, all believers. We are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And notice this, we like to define ourselves by what we're set apart from. You know, I don't, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't go to certain places, I don't act a certain way. But notice that Paul defines himself by what he's set apart to. What are you set apart to? 
Is it Jesus? See, this gospel, it defines who Paul is. So if this gospel defines Paul, what defines the gospel? Paul, a servant, a loyal subject of Jesus Christ, a loving, loyal, devoted subject of Jesus Christ, called to be a sent one, and set out, set apart rather, for the good news of God, which he promised, verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son. So what defines, defines the gospel? Well, first, it was promised beforehand. And it concerns his son. A few examples. Micah 5.2 But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose, forth, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Isaiah 11.2 says, The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of, of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. So we see there in the Old Testament, we see this prediction that there's going to be a ruler that's going to come out of Israel. And his coming forth is from, from ancient days from of old, and that he shall have the spirit of the Lord and it'll rest upon him. He's going to have wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, all this coming from the Lord, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Later in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, it says that this, this Messiah that's to come, this, this servant of the Lord, of, of God, uh, he will be wounded for our transgressions. He will be crushed for our iniquities. And upon him, was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, with his wounds, those wounds that he would receive, we would be healed as a result. And then in the book of Daniel, Daniel has this, this dream. He has this night vision, and there's these beasts that are rising up, but we find that they are, they are destroyed by the Ancient of Days, which is another word for God, a phrase for God. They're destroyed by God, the one who is seated on the throne, the Ancient of Days who is seated on the throne, destroys these beasts. And then Daniel says in verse 13 of chapter 7, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. So he sees this figure of a, of a man, and he comes before God's throne. It says in verse 14, And to this man, to this one that was like a son of man, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So what Paul is saying is that all of this about Jesus, this gospel, this good news of Jesus, it was all prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. So time and time again, we see the scriptures pointing to the good news that Paul preaches. The good news of the coming of Jesus Christ. 
He would come from Bethlehem. The Spirit of the Lord would be upon him. He would be wounded for our sins, and thus we would be healed, and he would be given an everlasting kingdom. From the garden to Abraham to Moses to David to the prophets to the declaration of the new covenant in Jeremiah, the gospel of Jesus was promised beforehand. So back to our passage, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the good news of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh. He was descended from David. You see, David was Israel's great king. The human Messiah, Israel's Messiah, Messiah means anointed one. They looked for an anointed one to come from David, a king to come from the lineage of David. Where do they get this from? 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 12, God says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, when you die, David, I'm going to raise up your offspring after you who's going to come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, if you're reading along, this is where it gets very interesting, and it can get confusing. The way way prophecies work in the Old Testament, there's a near fulfillment, there's a far fulfillment, there's layers, there's textures, and and a lot of times they they fit, they overlap like, like this. Listen to what he says next. He says, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. Like, what does that mean? Well, Jesus, he, he didn't have any iniquity. Jesus was without sin. But Solomon wasn't. You see, this, this, this prophecy, it had initial fulfillment in, um, in David's uh, son, his literal son. He would birth Solomon, who was going to build a house he was going to build the temple for, for God. David wanted to do it. He wasn't allowed to do it because he was a man of war. So he says, you're not going to build this temple for me. Uh, your son Solomon is going to build this temple for me. But this prophecy also says that he is going to establish this son of David. He is going to establish his kingdom forever. Well, Solomon, he died just like everybody else. And in fact, with his sons, the kingdom was ripped in two. There was civil war. Then there became Israel and Judah. So his kingdom wasn't established forever, and eventually they would would be taken captive by Babylon. So we see this as a partial fulfillment in Solomon, but an ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for you an offspring after you who's going to come from your own body. Solomon literally came from his body and Jesus came from his lineage and I will establish his kingdom. He's going to build a house for my name. Solomon built the temple. Jesus is building something way greater, (laughs) the church. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know that, right? That's the house that Jesus is building. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? It's cool how God intertwined this stuff. (laughs) Like Solomon's literally doing this and Jesus is doing something much greater that you don't see until the New Testament comes. 
He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Jesus' kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son, the only begotten son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. Yes, Solomon was disciplined for his sin. Jesus was disciplined for our sin. By his wounds, we are healed. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house, David, and your kingdom, David, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. What's that mean? Jesus was the lineage of David. And God's kingdom was established through him. That's why Matthew, if you flip to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, he begins with a genealogy was, was huge to uh, the Jews, to the Jewish people. And he starts off this genealogy. He's wanting to show from Abraham all the way to Jesus that there, there is a direct line through Abraham. And so it says that the book, verse 1 in Matthew, the book of the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, listen to this, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's saying he came through Abraham, he, who, who, whom God promised Speaking of prophecies, he told David, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Jesus is the son of Abraham. We just saw how he promised David an everlasting kingdom. That's gonna, uh, one is going to come from his own body and his kingdom will be established forever. He's the son of David. Let's stay in Matthew, Matthew chapter 21. Jesus is riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. The triumphal entry, which is also a prophecy, a fulfilled prophecy. Time and time again throughout the Gospels, fulfilled prophecy, one after the other, after the other, after the other. So he comes riding in on a colt, and the crowds are celebrating, and they're shouting, and they're welcoming him into Jerusalem, and, and the crowds, they shout, Hosanna, which is just a, a declaration of praise. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. You see, the Jews, they looked for a Messiah to come, an anointed one to come, a Christ. Christ and Messiah, it's the same thing. Christ is Greek for the Hebrew word Messiah. So Christ isn't Jesus' last name, in case you didn't know. It's Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Christ. So even the non-believers in Jesus' day would say, we're looking for the Christ to come. He's Jesus, the Christ. And so when they, when they declare Hosanna to the son of David, they're saying, this is the one that was, that was prophesied about. This is the one that, that God told David would come after him from his lineage. This is our king. This is our Messiah. This is the Christ. Hosanna in the highest. The long-awaited one who's going to deliver us. Stay in Matthew, a chapter later, Matthew 22, starting in verse 41. The Pharisees, there gathered together. And they ask, uh, and Jesus asks them a question. The Pharisees, the, those religious officials who oppose Jesus, Jesus asks them this. He says, so what do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Messiah? Tell me about him. Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. So even the Pharisees, even those who opposed Jesus, all the Jews were looking to the son of David. And so why do I say all that? 
because Paul said who was descended from David according to the flesh. He's backing up his gospel. He's showing you this is the gospel. This, this gospel isn't something I made up. It isn't something completely new. It's why, it's why Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfillment, to fulfill it. The message that I'm bringing, the reason I came is, is a fulfillment of Judaism. It's not something completely new. We're not starting a new cult, a new religion. This is a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. This is a fulfillment of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. I am the fulfillment. And so Paul is saying that he descended from David. This Jesus did. Not only did he descend from David, verse 4, but he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He was declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection. Peter, in his famous sermon at, at, at Pentecost, he says this about Jesus. He says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. We sung about this this morning. Death couldn't hold him. Loosing the pangs of death. Why? Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Why? Because not only was he descended from David according to the flesh, but there was divinity within Jesus. Fully man, fully God. Death couldn't hold him. In John chapter 2, verse 18, the Jews said to Jesus, what sign do you show us for doing these things? So Jesus had just come into the temple. He, had, he, was, uh, he was upset. He had overturned the money changers because they had turned uh, God's house into a marketplace. And so the Jews are upset and they're saying, hey, what gives you the authority to do this? You think you can just waltz in here and do whatever you want? What gives you the authority to do this? And Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, they were confused because they thought he was talking about the literal temple of stone but Jesus was talking about himself. This gives me the authority. When you see me raised from the dead, you will know that I have the authority. During the French Revolution, there was this man who had complained to the foreign minister of France. He said that there was this new religion that he had started, and he considered it a great improvement over Christianity. But the problem was, is it had failed to catch on with the people. So he asked the prime minister for some suggestions, for some advice, and this was the prime minister's answer. He says, if you want to ensure success of your new religion, all you need to do is have yourself crucified and then rise from the dead on the third day. Jesus was descended from David according to his humanity, but he was raised from the dead in power according to his divinity. Note that Paul, he writes this letter. He, he's writing this letter, ironically, to the church in Rome. Headquarters, the throne of the emperor is in Rome. A man who considered himself the son of the divine. 
Actually, literally, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Caesar Augustus was the emperor. His adoptive father was uh, Julius Caesar, whom he considered divine, and this is where it all started, and he, he considered himself the son of God. Julius Caesar was God, and he was the son of God. And so these Caesars had a habit of seeing themselves as, as divine. So Paul's declaration says, Caesar may call himself the son of God, but God proved who his real son was by raising him from the dead. You see, he was declared to be the son of God. He was already the son of God. You understand this? It's saying he was declared, he was proven to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection of the dead. And it's so cool to think that that, that power and that Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. So let's define the gospel. Skip Heitzig says that the Old Testament is the anticipation of Jesus. He says that the gospels are the presentation of Jesus. He says that the book of Acts are the continuation of the work of Jesus. The epistles are the, the, the letters, like Rome, uh, the Romans, are the explanation and the clarification of Jesus. Revelation is the consummation by Jesus. N.T. Wright describes the gospel like this. The gospel is the royal announcement that the crucified and risen Jesus, who died for our sins and rose again according to the scriptures, has been enthroned as the true Lord of the world. When this gospel is preached, God calls people to salvation out of sheer grace, leading them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as the risen Lord. This is the good news that defined Paul. This is the good news that he was set apart to. What about you? Does the gospel define you? He says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection of the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, verse 5, through whom we have received grace, which means what? Favor. So Paul says, through whom, through Jesus, we have received favor and apostleship. We've been sent out. We've been, seen, we, we've been shown favor and thus we've been sent out. You ever thought about like getting, you get to go out and share the gospel? It's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. That's how Paul saw it to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The obedience of faith. You ever heard that phrase before? The obedience of faith. You know, a lot of times we like to, we, uh, we talk about the gospel as an invitation but for Paul, it was a declaration. The gospel was a declaration. There's a new Lord in town. Believe the good news. That's what the declaration of the good news is. You know, the, the emperors in, in ancient times and 
in Rome, they would send out a herald with good news. So there's good news. The emperor is coming to town. The emperor is getting married or there's a new emperor. Wasn't always good news, but it was proclaimed as good news. And that's how the gospel should be proclaimed. Wright says that Caesar's messengers didn't go around the world saying Caesar is Lord, so if you feel you need to have a Roman Empire kind of experience, you might want to submit to them. See, we've got to understand that the gospel is a command. And we need to make sure that it's good news, because it is good news. But it is a, it's, a, it's a command. It, people have the choice to obey or not. But it's a declaration. It's a command. In fact, I was, side notes that I found this morning. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Paul says to the people of Athens, the times of ignorance God overlooked. Listen to this. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness listen to this, by a man who he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance. He has given proof to all by raising him from the dead. Remember what I was saying? Jesus's authority was proven through his resurrection of the dead. But the gospel, it is, it is a command. People have a choice whether to obey, but it is a command to believe, to repent, to repent of your sin, to turn, change your mind about sin, change your mind about your idols, change your mind about all those things that are not of God, and believe the good news. The obedience of faith. That word faith is, is pistis. That's the Greek word. Man, and, and that, that word pistis, it's like, it's like any, it's unlike, rather, any other word in, in, in the Bible. It's like, it's, it's like one word, but it has many, many facets to it. Many facets to it. The word pistis, uh, sometimes it's implying trusting. Other times believing, dependence. It's, it's, it's about loyalty. It's about allegiance. It's about, it's about conviction. All those words entail uh, pistis. They, they all entail what faith is. So, Pistis, faith in Jesus itself is obedience. And it leads to obedience. When we see Jesus for who he is, that leads to obedience. We want to obey him because <laughs> we realize, like we sang this morning, that he is good. This is the man, that this is the this Jesus, yeah, he's my king. I want to follow him. He's my authority. I want to follow Jesus. And it's through pistis, it's through faith that you are a part of that kingdom that Daniel saw in his night vision. And he said people from all nations would serve him in his kingdom. You're one of the children of God among all those among the nations. And it's through faith that Jesus was wounded for your transgressions, says Isaiah. Paul says that through, through pistis, through faith, you are sacred. Verse 7, 
to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You are loved by God and called to be saints. And y'all know I like declaring this over you. You're loved by God and you're called to be saints. Every single one of you through faith, you are loved by God. You're already loved by God, faith or not. But you're loved by God and you are called to be saints. That's why I say we need to stop primarily identifying ourselves as sinners. Yes, we sin, but we are not sinners. That's what identity is about. If you identify yourself as a sinner, you're going to sin. So embrace that you are a a saint. Yeah, if you had to do in order to become, then yeah, I mean, I would shy away from that term saint. But if you are, and therefore you do, my, my goodness, declare yourself a saint. Embrace that title, because that's what God calls you. You're called to be saints. To those in Rome... And so he's writing to the church, and so that includes us, who are loved by God and called to be saints. You were loved by God, and you were called to be saints. It's not for the elite. It's for you. Do you believe that? The word saint, it means means holy one. It means those who are set apart to God. Are you set apart to God? It means sacred. That is your identity by the grace of God. Not by any works you've done. When you called upon the name of the Lord, he forgave your sins. He washed them as far as the east is from the west so that he could take up residence in you. He needs a clean space (laughs) to come into. My goodness, if it was my works, there's no way God could take up residence in me. But the gospel says he can. The blood of Jesus says that he can. He's washed my sins away so that I would be his sacred space so that he could come and dwell in me. I am a saint. I'm embracing that. I encourage you to do it as well. It's not arrogant. It's your identity because you're loved by God. It's who you are. It's what you were called to walk in. Become who you are. Walk by faith. So this gospel that we've defined, it defines Paul. Does it define you? So I'll leave you with that. What, what, what's God stirring in you this morning? And if he's stirring something up, I encourage you to pay attention to it and hold it before God. And I'll close with how Paul closed his opening greeting, but we'll close the message this morning with it, with this blessing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your gospel. God, I thank you for this wonderful
this wonderful, deep, glorious um, letter that we're about to dig into. Lord, we, I thank you for putting um, these words on Paul's mind, Lord. And as, uh, Lord, as we uh, dig into this uh, letter over the next several weeks and months, Lord, I pray that it would be clear, that your gospel would be clear, and uh, Lord, that um, you would feed us that great manna from heaven, Lord, and that we would, uh, we would be satisfied in you. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. Who is the answer? Who is the solution? Who is descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God in power, the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection of the dead? Lord, we thank you that you raised him and set him in that place of authority because he is exactly what this world needs. Lord, may we embrace this gospel. May we identify with it. May it define us, Lord, to the point that we're like Jeremiah, Lord. Whatever it looks like, we're all gifted, uh, gifted in different ways. We're not all called to be evangelists per se, Lord, but we are all called to proclaim your gospel. We are all called to be um, lights in dark places, to be your ambassadors, your representative in the world as your church, Lord. And uh, I just pray that you would do that in us, Lord. However you may be ministering to uh, people this morning, God, uh, I just pray that they would be obedient, they would listen, God. If they're in a place of of confusion, Lord. I just pray that they would just hold that up before you, God. Or if there's anybody who needs um, healing, whether it's physical, mental, spiritual, Lord, pray that they take it before you this morning. Lord, I want to lift up our friend uh, uh, Gideon, who's in the ER this morning, and just Lord, I just pray that you would touch him, God, and uh, Lord, one, calm his spirit, but Lord, that you would heal whatever's going on inside of him. Give the doctors wisdom, Lord, and just bless Gideon, Lord, and as we lift it up to your throne room, this request, Lord, just pray that you give him the peace that surpasses all understanding. It's in Jesus' name we pray.